to the Faithful Plate Podcast, a show that exists at the intersections of faith, food, family, and everything else in between. I am your host, Siad Wills. Thank you for returning to yet another week, yet another episode of this show. I'm so grateful to be in community with you all in in dialogue and to be able to share stories and to learn and grow from each other. As I have discussed previously, we are now in the kind of interview season of the show. And so today I have an interview with you for you with Reverend Shay Watts. Shay is an incredible person. We met through our time together as a part of the Creature Kind Fellowship, and it's been so great getting to know Shay and getting to be in community with him and, and hearing all he has to say about food and living in the South and all of those wonderful things. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Shay. So hello, Shay. Uh, if you could, if you could tell the Faithful Plate audience listeners who you are, what you do, and um, something that you've eaten recently that you enjoyed, that would be fun to mm, mm, Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, and hello, everyone. My name is Shay Watts, Shay like Shea Butter, S-H-E-A. I'm 33 <laughs> years old. I live in the Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm married. My spouse's name is Catherine, and we have three little fur babies, cats, named Curly, Sophie, and Rosalind. And I just finished my PhD, so I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. But right now, I am the Director of Contemporary Music and Worship Arts at Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I bring together worship and liturgy and do some theology and some other fun things uh, as they relate to the arts. Nice. So how long have you been in worship arts and in music? Because it's not something I really knew about you throughout the the fellowship. And then I was like looking into this and I was like, oh, like he really plays the guitar. <laughs> I saw a couple of videos and, and, you know, like you singing and you were a digital pastor for a church in... Chicago. I don't know if you're still uh, doing that, but I saw some videos of you like playing the guitar and you had the little like virtual choir, which is really, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to have to watch some more of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have been doing worship music and in, in, in the worship arts for a very long time. I grew up the child of, of a Pentecostal preacher and mm. our whole family was musical. So there's that old song like daddy sang bass or was it daddy sang bass, mama sang tenor, whatever. So my dad was the preacher, but also the worship leader. My mom sang and my older brother played an instrument. So it was just natural that I grew up around music and around particularly around Pentecostal music, which is oftentimes imp improvisational. There's mm -hmm. a lot of you don't know what's going to happen. So you kind of have to fill in the, the place with the appropriate music that's going to match the mood. So when I was five, I started playing drums. So that was my primary instrument. And then when I was about 12 or 13, I started singing seriously. I started playing guitar and keyboard around then. So yeah, so it's it's been a bit of a journey. 
I, once upon a time, I was a music major for about a year. <laughs> and, and that didn't pan out. Uh, so when you say I really play the guitar, I mean, not like you at all. Um, but, but also, yes, I am a part of this. I'm a digital pastor for a church plant in Chicago called Gather Austin Oak Park. It's, it is a radically inclusive, radically Pentecostal, and very open-ended, open-minded congregation. And what we do is every Thursday night, we have Bible or book studies, which I often lead. And then once a month, we do a collaborative Sunday worship service. And so we just had ours yesterday on Pentecost, and it was our three-year anniversary. And we do lots of digital choir stuff. And Russ and Angela, who head up the music, are incredible musicians. He So Russ was with uh, Walt Whitman's uh, Soul Choir, Children's oh, Choir cool. of Chicago. Yeah, he's one of the best singers I've ever heard. And Angela is as well. She's, I always tell her she's the worship Whitney Houston. She rolls her eyes, but she really is that good. So like, I kind of play guitar, you know, I, I'm not on that level. And so oftentimes I'm stretched when they ask me to sing with them because they're just, the styles are so different and they're so much better than I am. <laughs> but I, but I enjoy it and I'm glad to be a part of the community for sure. So it's been three years with Gather and really three years of, of dreaming what Gather would be, thinking I would be in Chicago ended up in Charlotte, but because of the pandemic, I've been just as involved, you know, since online. So it's kind of worked out that way. Yeah. So is that going to continue to kind of be online every Thursday night? In yeah. Perpetuity, or was that like a pandemic thing? That so, so we started originally online because so much of the congregation are folks that left the church were hurt in the church. Mm -hmm. And so, and we have people that get up at 3 a.m. and watch from Scotland. We have people in New Mexico. We have people in the Northeast, out West, uh, you know, sort of central, central places. So the people are all over the place. We say we gather in from all over the place, literally. <laughs> so, so the plan was always to do that on Thursday night. So we started that right out the gate. And then it was like, oh, we'll do these once a month Sunday services, which we did originally. And then pandemic happened and we've done them virtually. And the plan is moving forward after everything gets more normal. I'm not going to say back to normal, but more normal or a new normal. The plan is to do pop-up church throughout Ooh. Chicago. So to kind of every month be somewhere different. And instead of having a church and asking people to come to, to the church, having the church go to them. So whether it's in an art museum or a bar or outside or whatever, the idea is every month to do pop-up church in a different location. That is really, really cool. I, I like that idea a lot, especially in, the, in a big city like Chicago, where it takes time to get everywhere. Yes. And, and going to the people seems like a, like um, reverse church or something. I don't know. You know, like yeah. people are like yeah. flip the classroom, you flip the church or something. Yeah. Flip the church. I love that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so cool. So uh, I have to ask, since you mentioned it, what, what was your year as a music major like? Because I... I know that life mm. uh, and yeah. <laughs> so I if learned, you if you don't mind me asking if, if it's too, um, too traumatizing, which I understand <laughs> also, you, you totally don't have to speak. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a good question. So it wasn't bad. Mm. My parents, because they were Pentecostal told me that I had to go to like a Christian Pentecostal college. So I actually went to old Roberts university. Ooh which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is very Pentecostal. And the actual class, I didn't like Tulsa. Okay, so there's that. Oh, okay. And going to classes, 
I took I sang choir and like county and state stuff in in college or in high school. So so going to college, you have to sight read a little bit. That didn't bother me. I had a piano 101 class, so I was really I played trumpet in middle school and I could read singing, but the piano was a little bit challenging for me. So I had that took music theory class, which was really good and learned like my circle of fifths and their music major program is really geared toward worship leadership. Mm -hmm. So probably a little less conventional or unconventional, but just taking the broad music theory classes. And then the second semester, I actually auditioned for, I wanted to get out of Tulsa and they were doing a tour of a worship album they, they had recorded and produced the year before. And so I ended up making it somehow. I don't know how playing acoustic and singing background vocals. And I went on the road actually with, with, with the college and Richard Roberts, whose oral son would come and preach and meet us out. And we got to play at a lot of the sort of big prosperity gospel mega churches around the country. Yeah, whoa. We, we, toured, we toured in Shania Twain's old tour bus. <laughs> like, it was just like, it was so surreal. It was like, we're like, we look like we're a really big deal and we weren't. <laughs> That's so cool. Like what, what an experience to have, like in the middle of college. It was eye opening to say the least. I mean, some of the places I have lots of stories and we could, you know, I could talk about it forever, but they were just, yeah, you meet so many different people from different walks of life. And the only, the only prerequisite to booking us was you had to make a donation to the school. So some churches that gave like a ton of music or money and we would play on like TBN and Daystar and all these big networks. And then we would be in like podunk Texas <laughs> and we got there and we had nowhere to stay. And the pastor was like, hope y'all like yard work and just basically put us to work. Like we were some short term, like mission, <laughs> mission trip <laughs> group. So it was interesting. Cool. And then you went back to school and you're like, the tour life is not the life for me. Yeah. 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 I liked music. I learned a lot there, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't, mm. I didn't really see it. Ironically, I guess I've spent most of my life doing music but I wanted to study something beyond the music. So that's when I really started studying like religion. And that, that I think put me on the, the, the track to go to seminary and, and get my, like get my MTS and then get my PhD. Okay. Okay. So where does food and animals and, and all of that fit into that path and like where you are now? I don't know if you have like a, a vegan testimony. Mm. I do I that do. you that you would like to share with yeah, the audience. I, I would I would love to hear that if you would. Let me testify. Let me testify. So come on now, come on. Um, so I grew up in South Carolina, home of the barbecue. <laughs> right, even the geography of South Carolina is divided into the different kinds of barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I ate about three vegetables growing up in a, like in the Pentecostal church, um, where we would worship for hours you can worship up an appetite. So we would go to the buffet. We would do after, you know, Wednesday night worship nights or Friday night worship nights, we would go to the greasy spoons. And I just, I ate terribly, ate terribly, mostly eating animals and carbs, rarely a vegetable. So I didn't grow up eating healthy. And it was only until I was about 20 that I started thinking about how I was eating and 
had some blood work come back that that was uh, indicative of, of of a family history of high cholesterol and and so the health thing really began to before any of the ethical sustainability theological um, mm-hmm. prompts of eating animals came along it was really I stopped and said okay my mom's dad had a heart attack when he was in his 30s and so I want to live and I want to live a full life and a life to the full as Jesus promised. Right. So, <laughs> so, so that kind of got me thinking. And as I said, before we started recording, when I was in seminary about almost five years now, I read the book, religious affects, animality, evolution, and power by Donovan Schaefer. And in that his basic premise is that, what if religion isn't so much about beliefs and about doctrines and about language even, but is much more about how the world feels and how the world feels shapes us. And that really creates who we are. And so what he was getting at was sort of this, what he calls an animality, which is realizing that um, we humans are animals among other animals. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so um, getting in touch with our creatureliness and and then also talking about how um, how animals have capacity for like if that's what religion means and that's what constitutes a spirituality, um, then other than other than human animals, like why wouldn't they have this capacity also? And he tells some really beautiful stories. One of them is Jane Goodall's chimpanzee, um, what she calls the waterfall dance, and she observed these chimpanzees uh, going to a waterfall in the like cool of the evening. Um, and, and they would go and it started raining and the chimpanzees started, um, making a sound that she said was not anywhere else in their, um, like in their lives and habits in, in, in her years living with chimpanzees. And so she, she asked the question, could it be these chimpanzees are actually experiencing what is called like awe or wonder or like connecting to something greater, um, and, and I love this story because they're Jane Goodall and Schaefer, they're not making like a speciesist argument like, oh, you know, these chimpanzees can be in the degree that they're like the human, we should care for them. But instead saying like, actually, like we shared 98 point whatever percent with chimpanzees and like, we're actually more, we're more animal than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that really got me thinking about, um, thinking about how I, how I eat. And I remember one day saying to Catherine, my spouse, I don't know that I can eat animals anymore. And she was like, what you eat three vegetables. And I said, Oh, <laughs> you know, and I said, I can go vegetarian. And she said, yeah, you'll eat pizza every day. And I did, I went vegetarian for about three minutes and I eat pizza every day and I felt terrible. So, so it, but it really did get me thinking about even before I started thinking about an animal theology, it got me thinking that that God's creation um, and and is in God's love for the creation and God's um, care for the creation is so much broader than just the human animal um, hierarchy. And so I think between that and my health and realizing how the more I learned about animal agriculture and not only what it does to the earth, but what it actually does. Um, to to the animals there, it really um, it really had a I had a visceral reaction, and it, it wasn't something that I thought, oh, I need to do this because these are the reasons. But in the same way that Schaefer talked about how religion's much more about how we feel and how we're compelled 
um, by what he calls affects. I was compelled to change mm. how I eat because I cared about all of these things. And while I couldn't work it out yet and I didn't have the language to articulate it, uh, something was stirring in me and in, I knew it necessitated me changing um, how I eat, how I talk about and how I relate with what we call animals. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. I have to ask, how did you teach yourself to eat vegetables? Because, for, <laughs> because, because like, okay, so I, I, I love vegetables, but I know that there are some people who just don't. And so it, they have to kind of like teach themselves or like learn how to, and I, you know, there are vegetables that I don't love. I don't know if you consider an olive a vegetable, but I think olives are terrible, but like, you know, beyond know. that, um, you like, how did that, what was that process like for you to go through kind of unlearning and changing all of these patterns that you had held so deeply to you as a person, but probably to you as shade, the Pentecostal as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. So I also don't like olives. Um, I don't like gushy tomatoes or cucumbers, or there are a few things I, I dislike, um, but it's a process. And mm. I, I tell people that all the time. It really is a process. I, I really, I probably ate more than three vegetables when Catherine made that joke. I probably ate like five or six, but I had just started eating like peppers <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I didn't grow up eating onion and now like I love onion. Um, and so I guess what I realized is we would cook things and I would try them once and just a little bit. And then I would tell myself, I may not immediately, like this will not be familiar in the same way that like a green bean was like my main vegetable and I could eat green beans prepared anyway, at any consistency, all of that it's, you're not going to naturally just have that with something new, especially something for those of us that are smell or sight or, or, um, texture sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think I, I learned that I'm a super taster too. So things with strong aftertaste, whatever, uh, I, I didn't always, I didn't gravitate toward naturally, but, but I learned, I just tried a little bit at a time and I would try it and then I would come back to it and try it, maybe prepared a different way. And I would, cut them into really small bites too. That mm -hmm. I found that that helped. Like that was how I started eating mushrooms. And now I'm really into like, I love eating mushrooms and I've read so much about mushrooms. Oh, you're a mushroom person. I am. And I told someone the other day, I was like, I'm really big into mushrooms. And they kind of looked at me and I said, that is not a sentence you should say out loud to someone you don't know well. But, <laughs> but I just ate little, little bitty bites of it. And you kind of get, I think once you get used to the texture and kind of the taste and you, and you can differentiate it. I think it really then does become how you want to cook it and mm -hmm. how you want to savor it. And so, yeah. So now, I mean, I'll pretty much eat any vegetable except the couple that I named. I don't love eggplant, but I can eat it. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, yeah. It's, it's how it's, how it's got to be cooked. So, so yeah, so, so I, um, I'm still learning, but I think I've grown. I mean, in the last five years, I've just really started eating more and more vegetables so much. So, that um that i'll crave broccoli i'll crave a salad yeah and i know it's weird but but my body my body has changed and acclimated to uh to getting the um to getting the nutrients that i need too which is important for me mm -hmm. um i didn't answer the pentecostal part of that but oh it's fine it's yeah okay. it's fine yeah um are you now like a chef as well like do you cook more because you eat more vegetables now I think that's something that I definitely experienced uh, and I think a lot of people do but you know not everyone likes to cook or enjoys cooking so yeah I cook a lot I do and 
Catherine and I cook a lot together. It's something we actually enjoy. I find that, so she's really good at following directions and I like to improvise. So when we cook together, I just have her tell me what to do. <laughs> and, uh, and I've gotten really good at preparing vegetables, but in pandemic, since I'm working from home, I've cooked a lot more. And I think I've learned a lot more about, about cooking and I've always been good at seasoning, but le- mm-hmm. learning how to cook, for example, not overcooking noodles or how to saute vegetables. And we've started sauteing vegetables in water because it's a little healthier. Oh yeah. Instead of using oil. It takes longer, but you can still get a pretty good, like if you put salt and pepper and water, you can actually, you can still get it there. It just takes longer um, (laughs) water. But yeah, so, so I've learned a lot about that. We have a cast iron skillet and yeah, we cook lots of veggies, um, lots of stir fries and tofu and lentils. And so I've definitely broadened my horizons when it comes to knowing how to cook things. I wouldn't say I'm a chef at all, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I think I've come a long, long way from like just throwing, you know, a uh, vegan frozen burger into the microwave for a minute and putting it on bread and calling that, you know, cooking dinner. (laughs) Still like that, but I've learned how to cook just, you know, my proficiency is a little higher than it used to be. <laughs> uh, so your project with Creature Kind was kind of a, a two-part project where the first involved you being with a group of people and kind of going through the Creature Kind church course. And then the second part of your project ended up being a podcast as well. And I was wondering if you could speak to the way that you were able to or hoped to be able to minister to people through food in doing the first part of your project? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. So, so at the time I was working at an Episcopal church, my group, I'm actually meeting tomorrow to finish our, to finish our six part um, creature con church curriculum. And we're meeting at a brewery where there's going to be <laughs> this vegan food truck called Mike's, what is it called? Mike's Cookout or something like that. They make really good sort of home style vegan burgers and hot dogs. And it's really good. Chili cheese fries. So, so tomorrow we'll conclude our time together and I'm really looking forward to it. So, so one of the things I had hoped, so in the Episcopal tradition, it's all about the Eucharist. Everything leads to the table, which is itself a meal. Uh, Jesus, of course, with this act of commemoration, remember me when you do this, right? And breaking the bread. And so it's pretty clear to me how sacred eating food is. It's a part of like every religious tradition. uh, And it's something we do three times a day. And so I don't think we always consume as mindfully as we should. And Mm -hmm. so part of this First part of the project was to bring people together. And in that group, there are two priests, there are a couple vegetarians, and then there are people that work with justice issues at the church and in the justice and outreach ministry and really realize that food justice is a thing. <laughs> and it's not, all of these things can be um, interconnected. And I, I think we're actually at the point now where people are starting to put put the pieces together and, and, and be able to connect like environmental racism with issues of sustainability, with animal agriculture and ethics and all of this. And so, so my hope was to come together and we would get a meal together and kind of like Jesus and the disciples, not that I'm Jesus, but Jesus, 
you know, like Jesus and the disciples or the early church, probably a better example of getting together in a home and sharing a meal and, um, and listening and learning and praying. And so I, I would find little litanies and different things from, um, uh, animal rights, R I T E R I T E S, which is Andrew Lindsay. And I would bring in prayers for people and we would read them or we would share them. We would do the readings, whether they would be the theological texts or the, or the scriptures, we'd watch the video of David cloth. And then we would have a time of discussion. And then we would talk specifically about the church where we were all working together and what, cause we, there's a staff chef there. And so, yeah, there were some really beautiful and sacred moments especially in the first couple of times when we physically gathered, it's kind of hard to do that via zoom, like Mm -hmm. everything else, but everyone would bring their food and kind of do a show and tell. And so it it still created some feelings of connection. But yeah, my hope was that we would realize that eating is not just a, a justice act that every time we eat a meal, we have an opportunity to do justice, but also that it's a very sacred act because of that. And it's, it, it is important, therefore, that we prayerfully and mindfully eat uh, and consider what it is we are eating, where the food is coming from, um, and how that meal may or may not um, help us in in our bringing the you know the world the healing of the world that God wants us to bring about. Um, so yeah, so it it was a it was a really in, it's been a really interesting time. Mm-hmm. Was this open to like parishioners in the church or was it just mainly staff and people who worked there who were invited slash involved and yeah it's it's a good question so originally i did an all call to the staff and i had about eight people tell me they were interested and i told those people if they wanted to open it to the parish they like to parishioners they could but it wasn't something i think so joan and laura so joan is the priest and Laura is the director of outreach and mission. They work together. I think they want wanted to kind of do this as a test run to see oh, if it's okay. something in the future they would want to offer to the congregation. And they actually plan on using it in the future and, and making it one of their, they have many, many offerings. And so bringing it into their sort of curriculum and, and making it an offering for those that are, that are interested. So, so that was why we didn't do an all call to the parishioners, just the staff. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that when we were presenting our projects, but I just forgot, I guess. <laughs> so, so I was really curious about that, but that was a couple, um, long couple of days. So I could understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was really cool to hear you talk about how people were, were really willing to engage in the conversation and even like excited about gathering and showing off their food. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's really beautiful that you were able to cultivate that kind of community (laughs) with like eight people it was it really was great um everyone's enthusiastic and a lot of people already knew a lot of the stuff so it was it was like we probably had um there was already collaboration going on so that made it easier for sure Mm -hmm. going forward how do you see yourself infusing worship arts and animal theology or food justice i mean are you going to be writing a song about a pig soon or you know something yeah this is a good question so 
I definitely think the answer is yes to the degree that I can. Um, <laughs> right, maybe not write a worship song about pigs, although um, there are worship songs about the Lamb of God. Of course, we have to deal with the sacrificial system, but my hope is that, as I mentioned earlier, and often food plays such an important part and role in in our um, in church life. And now that people were coming back together to campus, there will be lots more meals. And so mm-hmm. my hope is that with music and with art, um, we can begin to infuse them, to use your word, with um, with the just with the you know uh, issue sensitive things like food justice, like animal welfare. And I think there are things within our scriptures that we can talk about. Um, St. Francis of Assisi offers a witness and um, all creatures of our God. So I think there, there's already something there to begin to work with, but I do think it's going to take, it's going to take some ingenuity and some, some creativity to figure out how to make animals more visible and present in our liturgies. And I think, I think the challenge um, that, that is there is that, uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina and, <laughs> right. you know, and bringing up animal agriculture, um, is going to be, it's going to be a challenge and will be met probably with a lot of resistance. So I have to be extra sensitive, but also extra creative in how, um, and when I can bring, um, light to these, some light and shed some light on these issues because they really are important because North Carolina is is kind of the epicenter of of factory farming in the U.S. Um, number one in chicken and eggs, and, dare, and I think number two in like pigs or something. And I may have gotten that backwards, but there and there's all these CAFOs, which are concentrated animal feeding operations, and um, and they're poisoning the water. And people that live in these areas live much, um, die much younger. Mm-hmm. And now there are even studies that are saying that the particulate matter and the air from these factory farms is killing people. And they're saying up to 18,000 people in a year alone um, that contributed to their death. So like there is enough injustice for us to figure out, um, to, to recognize the need. And so now the question becomes, and I think art has always been about resistance and subversion yeah. and, and, and finding ways to move forward into justice. But I'm I'm still working on how and what that looks like. You seem to do a really good job, judging from your Facebook feed, of of like keeping up with what is happening news wise and like always learning and always researching. So how do you how do you do that as you know this person who like plays an instrument and is is a digital pastor at one place and is going to be a worship leader and ministry of music at one place like. And you read a lot of books, I assume, from I, whenever I'm on Zoom with you, I see like all these books in the background. <laughs> yes, this is my library. The library. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you main, manage that and like maintain all of that? Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, I love reading. I love learning. And I'm very cognizant about what I post. And that's because, as you know, posting vegan stuff. There are a lot of vegans out there, I think, <laughs> and I'm not judging here. I'm just saying I'm trying to be objective here. And, and I've been this vegan. So, you know, confession time, but there are a lot of people that post things that are triggering or are very judgmental um, and very pointed, pointed. And, and they're not wrong in my opinion, <laughs> but it's, 
to me, it's not the best approach. Right. So what I try to do is when I share things, if I'm passionate about it and it's a commitment that I have, um, I'm going to share about it in a way that invites people into to reflection and maybe in, invites some questions from other people that may not agree or even just may in, invite some pushback. And that's okay too. So I try to pick and choose what I, I almost posted something today and I deleted it. It was an article about this uh, Biden's administration and how Biden won't address the problems with red meat and uh, cow, specifically cows and animal agriculture. And there's a Politico um, uh, article about it. And I almost posted it, but I didn't because I didn't think that it really, for me, I don't think it would have invited conversation. I don't think it would have invited um honest reflection. I think it just would have been like, Oh, you know, there's that vegan being opinionated. So, so I realized that being in, in very different, in different contexts with different groups of people, most of whom are not vegan. I I try to um, post things when I think they're compelling or I'll just post my own testimony and say, Hey, this really matters. Like uh, if, if these farms, like we know what they're doing to animals, um, but like, look what they're even like, look what it's doing to animals and the earth and to humans and to like all of this, like, this is a, this is a justice issue. This is a faith issue and it is important. And so I will say that in my conversations, for example, at gather, um, I've had people reach out to me that, that maybe don't, don't, aren't going to stop eating animals, Mm -hmm. but they at at least are starting to talk about and problematize where and how they get their, their, their meat and eat their animals. And so that's been really interesting to watch that happen because I haven't been overly preachy about it. I just post what I post. And I, someone once told me that let your love for what you do and your love for, you know, advocacy and veganism and all these things, let your love for that be the thing that shines through or like make them feel bad about what they're doing or try to um, shame them into changing how they eat. Um, And that might not be everyone's approach or may not work for everyone. But for me, I have found that that has been a more uh, generative approach. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to approach things. And I, I hope that more people can learn uh, to approach things in that way. I think the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you is, and we, we talked about this a little bit, you know, what do you hope comes of our conversations and our projects or your work in church and the advocacy and in your community? Like, what do you want the future to look like? Mm-hmm. Change. I think people are adequately educated at this point. (laughs) There's enough information out there. However, there's lots of misinformation and disinformation. And if you want any better, (laughs) if you want a better example or or a more uh, obvious example right now, look at what's going on with vaccinations and all the mis and disinformation. And of course, the difference between misinformation and disinformation is the intent. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation out there that I think is just ignorance but a lot of it is is intended to misinform. Therefore, it becomes disinformation. So, um, so I think, I think as our projects as we move on from this pro- this fellowship, I, I think change needs to happen, and I do believe that change begins with us. So, like I just said, changing how I approach this subject. 
um, how I bring it into, into uh, a space. When, our, when the church cooks a meal um, for the staff and I ask that mine be vegan uh, and people, people want to try it. And I say, this is really good. You should try this, right? Like, oh, wow. You know what? Oh, tell me why you're vegan. Oh, well, you know, that's easy. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so finding ways to, to connect. Cause I, I think like, I think change comes when we, when we're educated and when we're connected to something compelling or something that, that moves us. And I, and I think we need to be better storytellers. And I think we need to be better advocates um, that, that aren't looking to, um, to fight and to, uh, to, to make people um, go on the uh, defensive, but really are honest and vulnerable um, and let our emotions, um, let, let, our, let our arguments be emotional. Let them be like, let people see that we really do care. Uh, it's that whole thing, you know, people don't, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care which sounds like Mr. Rogers, but it's true. It, I've really found that to be true. And so, you know, I think change, but, we, but, but that's, a, that's kind of a buzzword. So, you know, we need education, we need connection, uh, and we need, to be, we need to be compelled. Well, thank you so much for joining me here on the Faithful Plate podcast, which is sponsored by, I guess at this point, uh, Kind and the Fellowship, yeah. so. Yeah. thank you again and yeah i appreciate you being on and i look forward to seeing and hearing all the beautiful things that you do in the future thank you thank you all right well that was my interview with shay shay if you're listening thank you so much for talking to me about food and about you know what it means to be vegan for you and being in the community and about your project it was really great to once again be able to hear about that so thanks so much and of course to you dear listener thank you so much again for listening for being here i really appreciate it and i will be back with another episode of the faithful plate podcast next week (laughs) 